If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today, we have something extraordinary for you. A young girl, who we are calling Jane Doe, speaking out here exclusively on what she says was the shocking abuse her St. Louis school allowed her to suffer, all in the name of critical race theory and its racist approach to education. This is a real-life victim of this insanity we've been talking about on this show, or so her complaint alleges. At age 17, she was accused of a racist act by a classmate. She denied it, and all hell broke loose from there. We're going to get into it in a second as she walks us through, incident by incident, how her life started falling apart and her school's indifference to any pain she suffered, allegedly. We'll get to the school's response. Her attorney happens to be a name you might know, Mark McCloskey. Remember him? This is the guy who, along with his blonde-haired wife, was brandishing a gun in front of their home in St. Louis last summer as a group of BLM protesters trespassed into his gated community. He and his wife were threatened, they were terrified, and they were ultimately charged with felonies for that moment for defending their home. Now, you know, no shots were fired. Nothing happened. They were scared. They had their guns. Apparently, they weren't holding them properly, according to Dana Lash, but that's beside the point. But He's going to tell us not only about the lawsuit he has filed on behalf of Jane Doe, our guest. He's, Mark is a lawyer in St. Louis, but where his own case stands and what's happened to him since this past summer. This is a great show. You're going to love it. But first, let's talk about Legacy Box. This is an ingenious mail-in service to have all of those irreplaceable moments that you have trapped on videotapes and camcorder tapes, film reels, uh, and in pictures converted to DVD or digital, right? Don't you want to do that? You got all these old, like if you're over the age of 40, you're going to have some of your old photos uh, or tapes trapped in some sort of a mechanism that is not very accessible. I mean, we all know that home movies can transport us back to the unforgettable times of our life. But when was the last time you actually watched yours, right? Forever ago. It's just too big a pain in the you know what. So I felt like this. I have some fun stuff from when I was younger. Me doing some aerobics, <laughs> me doing some legal training, some uh, some practice appellate argument uh, in front of fake judges and so on. And I thought it'd be fun to show my kids, in particular, my daughter. Right. You can do it. Check it out. And uh, so I sent that in to Legacy Box. And it's super easy. They'll send you the box. Just get your get your stuff together whenever you want. But you order the box now. You'll have it there. And then like when you're doing your spring cleaning or whatever, you load up the box and then you send it in. And they will help you 
digitally preserve your past, right? You pack it, you send it in, they do it all by hand, and then you enjoy it. They've thought of everything. They have state-of-the-art tracking, so nothing will get lost. They'll send you updates every step of the process. And you should know that um, this is the world's largest digitizer of home movies and photos. Over 850,000 families have trusted these guys. College roommates, Nick and Adam, over a decade ago, founded the company. And they do it all at their 50,000 square foot processing campus in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tennessee seems like a good place for business. Big team, over 200 folks, trained technicians. So trust them. Trust them with your memories. You can get started today. Go to LegacyBox.com MK to get an incredible 40% off your first order. Buy today to take advantage of this exclusive offer. Send it in when you're ready. LegacyBox.com MK and save 40% while supplies last. Joining me now is Jane Doe. Uh, we know her real identity, but we're not going to make that public. Uh, she was a minor when this happened and um, has gone anonymous in the court pleadings, and we're going to be respectful of that. So, Jane, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So you're 18 now, right? But how old were you in October of 2020? I was 17. Okay. So you were 17 when the events happened. and. At that time, I guess, and now, what year were you in in high school? I'm a senior. Okay. And have you had generally a good experience at this school, Villa Duchesne in Missouri? Yeah, I mean, I had somewhat of a good experience there, for sure. I wouldn't have expected this to happen. All right, help us understand what your life was there prior to all this. Were you an athlete? Were you popular? Did you go to dances? You know, just give us a general feel for life for you. Well, Villa is like a very small school. There's like 56 or 54 girls in my class and all girls. And I mean, I'm a three-sport athlete, so I played basketball, tennis, golf, lacrosse, like all, like I, I was just very involved. I was on student council. I started the ping pong club. That's a very exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm super involved in the pro-life club. I, I'm definitely involved in the school. And I thought I had a relatively good relationship with everyone. And did you get good grades? Yeah, I have uh, good grades. Are you going off to college next year? I am. Okay. So life was looking pretty good for you. My kids are in smaller schools too. And I realize when you have a class of about 50 people, you know everybody really well. And in most cases, it depends on the on the student, but you've you've been in school with them per- perhaps as many as 12 or 13 years. Is that the case for you or no? Um, I came to Villa in eighth grade, so I've known them all, or I've known the majority of them since eighth grade, and then a whole bunch of girls come freshman year as well. So I met I've just known them for a while. And is it what describe the culture of the school? You know, is it clicky or is it pretty cool? Is it like a sisterhood? What is it? Um, well, I mean, I think like any school, you know, you find your friends and like who you're going to hang out with on the weekend, especially like since coronavirus, everyone's circles have gotten a little bit smaller and more like exclusive. But at school, everyone's friends and like everyone talks and helps each other out, especially because like if you're an athlete, you're playing on every team. So you're going to be friends with everyone. Yeah. So I, right, exactly. I guess it's a little bit of a mix. I understand you come from a Republican family. Yes. Is that unusual in your area? Like where I am, there are no Republican families on the other side of Manhattan. Is it unusual where you are? 
I live in St. Louis, so it is unusual to be Republican, but it's not unusual to be Republican if you go a little bit further out past St. Louis. So there's like a bunch of girls that are. And how did you how did you become a Republican? Like what what's what are your parents like? Well, my parents are great, but that's not really why I'm Republican. I I'm super pro-life. So anything that like I, I'm just interested in furthering like the pro-life message and stuff. So, yep. That's that'll fine. do it. Okay, so so life's sort of going along. You're dealing with COVID. And did you guys go remote uh for, for the fall? Were you remote? We were online for um the end of last year, but we're completely in person now and we've been the whole entire time. You have the option of going online, but you can't just you can't go online if you don't have like or like are quarantined. Okay. Okay. So as of September, you've been back in person in school. Yeah. Okay. So now as I read your complaint, um, you say that there was an incident uh, starting on October 10th, 2020, where you were informed by a fellow student that I guess there are three black young women in your, in your entire grade. And that one of them was accusing you of doing something awful. And this is how you learned about it from a friend. A friend came over and said, hey, you, you got to know this is happening. So what did your friend tell you was going on that you were being accused of? Yeah, so we were um, at a sleepover and we're all sitting around the fire. This is like, you know, October. So it's not, it's not that cold outside. And um, she told me like, hey, do you know what's going on at school? You know what everyone's saying about you? And I was like, what? No, because no one's ever like, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen that much at Villa. And um, she's like, yeah, well, uh, my accuser came up to her in the common room, which is where like, we're all allowed to like sit and hang out and was like, uh, got, uh, sorry. That's okay. I'm really emotional about this. So I, um, it's just been like super traumatic for me. So, but so my accuser, she got into my friend's face and said that I said, I stood up in class and screamed in her face, black lives do not matter. And that, um, like, and just like really like pushed that. And then all the girls in the common room at the time heard that. And that she was calling me a racist. And then a whole bunch of the girls in the common room were like, Oh, we need to teach her a lesson. She's such a racist. She needs to get smacked in the face. We're going to jump her in the parking lot. It's like, that started spreading and then just like it started like spiraling all over the school and I just didn't know about it. So, I mean, that had been going on for like two or three days by the time that I found out. And while I was like, we're around the fire, other girls were like chiming in telling me what they had heard and stuff like that. And some Mm -hmm. of the girls that were at the sleepover, they were actually in the room when like my accuser said, that I said that. So there's like a zoom recording of it. And the girls that were in there, they all know I didn't say anything. So, well, let's bet. Hold up. Hold that thought. Cause I want to, I want to get there. But before we go there, how long have you known the accuser? Since eighth grade. And were you and she friends prior to this? Um, I've always felt bad for her. Um, but, and I've always been very nice to her. I wouldn't say we were like, 
friends, but she kind of causes a hard time sometimes. And when people give her too much trouble back, I always was sticking up for her. So when you say you felt bad for her, why is that? Um, She just is very upset all the time. And I think that it would be a very like miserable life to live that upset, like in your own head. Mm. Even prior to this summer, George Floyd, I know, you know, all the schools have been reacting to that. But even prior to that, did you notice this thread with with the accuser? Been since I've known her, she's always been just like very like wound up and sad. Always around race issues or other issues? Typically around race issues. Like everything was a race issue. Hmm. And do you know, has she accused others in your grade or class of racist behavior prior to this? Yes, but not the same. Not to this like, level. If she's like confused on something at math, she'll be like, oh, the math teacher's just racist. They're not teaching me as well. Mm. Like that, but nothing as bad as what happened to me. So you find out at this event with your friends, a social event, uh, that she has accused you of having stood up in a class, pointed at her, and said, Black lives do not matter. And and apparently the the class in which you allegedly did this was a Zoom class. So does that mean it had taken place the previous spring? No, this took place in October and the class was in person, but we like it's recorded on Zoom for people who are not there. So like all of our classes were recorded. Ah, I see. So not just so just forgive me because I don't totally understand the tech, but not every Zoom co- class is recorded. So your but your school has made the decision to actually record the the classes that they're offering via Zoom. At this point, we were recording the classes um, because if a girl wasn't there, so that they could like keep it up. Because some girls, um, like if they weren't there, they would just watch all the classes at night because they were like out of town or something. Okay, so. That seems like a pretty simple case, right? Like, okay, let's go back and look at the tape. I mean, was she specific on what day it happened? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the thing. Like, it, the school knows I didn't say it. That's not the problem. The day it happened, like, they all know that and the time. And like, it's not that they don't know I didn't say it. Well, so have you seen the tape of that class? No, we, we asked for them to send us the tape and they said, that they wouldn't send it to. Had they admitted to you that the tape does not show you doing anything like that? I never asked that. I just, my teacher told me, or my my principal, Ms. Steenberg, she told me that she knew I didn't say it. And I know I didn't say okay. it. And my the advisor, Ms. Wish, she like, I didn't say it. So I know that the recording doesn't say it. Well, I mean, the thing is, Jane, that uh, if you had stood up in class in, in October of 2020 and, and pointed at a black fellow student and said, black lives do not matter. Am I correct in assuming that would have been a major deal in your school and in your class at the moment you did it? Well, yeah, the problem is it's like, is a major deal right now because I'm being treated like I'm, I said it. It's just upsetting because I didn't think anything was wrong. 
first like so like three or four days in which like the whole uh, that rumor of me saying it got spread and then whenever so then I'm being treated like that by not only people from my school that didn't know me um, or weren't in the room but kids from other schools too and like I didn't you know I didn't do it right and it's knowable I mean that's the thing that's so crazy is in most situations this would be a she said she said but there are, there's a room full of witnesses who can tell us whether it was said. And there's even a videotape. Yeah. And as far as you know, how is the class lined up? Like, is the class being asked? And I realize you're, you're telling me the principal and the teacher have already said she didn't, she didn't say it. But like, has the class weighed in on this at all? Yeah. So they have pulled in girls to like, um, when I say they, I mean, the principal has pulled in girls to talk to them and like but they're saying that the girls aren't allowed to tell anyone that they're being pulled in and interrogated including their parents so it's like I don't they're not telling me that they're getting pulled in but I've like heard snippets and one of my friends told me she was pulled in one time so like I know that it's happening but the school's making them not like the school's scaring them and telling them they're not allowed to tell anyone but you Do you know, just from your private conversations, that people have been telling the principal, Jane never said this. This isn't true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They know. Like, the school knows. And just just for the record, do do you agree that anybody who would say such a thing would be doing something totally outrageous? Yeah. Like, you wouldn't defend a comment like that? No. No. And I'm... Well, let me ask you this way. Do you believe that black lives do matter. Yeah, of course. Okay, so you're you're reeling. You find out with your friends in a social setting that this thing is going around about you and especially in this political climate, I'm sure you understood the gravity of something like that even if you knew it wasn't going to be backed up by the the video evidence. But I understand having gone through middle school and high school, I understand that's got to be damn scary. So, your complaint alleges that threats began even physical threats. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So girls were talking about jumping me in the parking lot and that scared me really bad. And like that I needed to get smacked in the face was one that I kept hearing. And like, <sighs> um, like she needs to be taught a lesson. My house was threatened to be vandalized, which it later did get vandalized. My, um, and like, my accuser, she's in her English class and she started like getting riled up about this. And she's like, I already told my mom, I don't care if I get expelled. I'm going to, she was like making fist punching motions and just like threatening me. And it was like also uh, in addition to like the physical threats, like socially, the girls, like the majority of the girls at my school, um, there was like a lot of girls in there at the time who were like defending me and everything. But like the social aspect of this, of like kids from other schools who don't know me, but know my name or like who can find me on Instagram or whatever. That's like another scary thing. Cause like Villa's just girls, but I don't know. Being labeled as a racist is a really dangerous thing to be labeled as, especially when you didn't do it. Mm. Oh my goodness. 
So I assume you told your parents about this, yes? Yeah, I didn't tell my parents right away because I was, well, how it happened was that my friend told me and like my friends were telling me what was happening. And then um, I, we were actually camping. So I we were having a really good time. So I kind of let it go. And then I couldn't sleep. So then I emailed my principal right away, like at night. And that was like way before I told my parents. I told my parents when I had gotten home, like later the next day. But okay. I had told my, like contacted my principal first. And so I understand that the principal on October 13th, again, going from your complaint, uh, arranged a meeting between you and her. And um, you you told her what you were hearing was being said about you. And she set up a second meeting for that same day between you, your accuser, your teacher, and her, the principal. Is that correct? Um. Yeah. I mean, she didn't really set up the first meeting. She never responded to my email um, that I sent her like three days prior about what was happening to me, where I told her like in the email, I told her how there was physical threats being made to me and like that my house had been vandalized and that, or like the threats of vandalized. Oh wait, no, my house had been vandalized. And like that there was a zoom and that like what she said. And then she wouldn't meet with me the next day or like when I, we got back to school, which it was a long weekend. That's why there was mm. so many things. And so I like literally forced myself into her office to try and meet with her. Cause I realized like time is of the essence here. And then I asked to meet with my like accuser and my advisor and so then we had a meeting later that day. Is your advisor uh, Miss Wiss? Yeah. Wiss. Okay. And this is also the person who was the teacher during the alleged and, class? Yeah. Okay. So you do have that meeting on October 13th. And yes. I know there's an allegation in the complaint about what happened right before you went into the meeting. You overheard something allegedly in the stairwell. What was that? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, One of the girls... uh. My accuser's friend said, do you want me to face that bitch with you? And I like heard that while I was walking up the stairs, which freaked me out. And the accuser's friend is also a, a black student? She is. Okay. So, so there's a threat that you hear before you go in, allegedly. And now you walk into the meeting, which I'm sure felt tense. And what happened? I just forgot to say something before, sure, but ahead. in the meeting that I was with, it, when it was just me and my principal, Ms. Steinberg, uh, she was incredibly supportive of me. And she was like, yes, I know you would never say anything like that. I know you didn't say it. Um, we're going to fix this. Like, she's so, so supportive. So I went in upset, but with, like, the confidence that I had my principal support. and like That I, you I were going to be vindicated, that you're going to be yeah. supported and backed. Yeah, I really did think I was going to be supported. So whenever we go to the meeting, it was super awkward because it was just me and the girl for like 10 minutes because my principal and was late and the advisor just let or Miss Wiss left because it was so mm. awkward. So we're just sitting there staring at each other. Mm. Uh, anyway, that's just nothing. nothing was said. Oh, nothing was said. No, it was very tense. I can and feel it from here. Yeah. And then 
finally Miss Stamberge comes in and she start or like whenever like she starts out with like so there was a situation in your class and then the my accuser she starts like being like I can't believe you'd be lying right now it's like all directed towards me and she's like raising her voice getting really upset she's like I can't believe you'd lie right now like I just cannot believe you're doing this like and then she's she denied saying anything like making any of the statements about me but like she then like was she was contradicting herself the whole entire meeting like saying she did by the end but and she was like calling me she's like you know you're a racist you're the biggest racist in school you're in love with trump you have trump's screensaver socks and poster everyone knows all trump supporters are racist and she's just like really like upset and i kept trying to like bring it back to i was like this is just not a political thing um this is just a you made a lie that's making my reputation or you said something that's a lie that's making my reputation bad and like i'm just trying to fix the lie like all this is like a political thing aside like this is nothing to do with politics i don't have like a trump screensaver or any of that stuff it was weird that she was saying all that and she's like pointing her finger in my face and like loud and like calling me a liar that i'm the fakest pro-life person she's ever met that i constantly devalidate her life and the lives of the two other um, African-American girls at my school and that um, I have a police support flag on my computer and that it's like further showing how big of a racist that I am. Every time that that was being said, I kept I kept trying to bring it back to the actual lie. And Miss Steenberg isn't saying a word and I'm crying. And then Miss Wiss, she like looks over at me and she knows, like she was there. And she's like, you need to realize that having a blue lives matter flag is racist and that it was made to crush the black lives matter movement simply having that sticker i need to expect to be treated like a racist and that i'll never understand the pain of like people of color i just need to accept that um and then she asked the girl if i took the sticker off my laptop would she feel more comfortable and she's like no, she's still racist. That's never changed. Can I yeah. just ask you what were the what? First of all, what did I know? There was a dispute about whether it was in fact a Blue Lives Matter flag or something else. Can you talk about that? The police support flag is what I have been calling it because, like, that's why I have it. Like, I have family members that are police officers, and I um, really respect them and. So I said that, and the girl, also, like, her dad's a police officer, so I didn't think that, oh, yeah. And it's like a flag with a line in it, a blue line in it. So it's not, there is a, like, there is an actual Blue Lives Matter flag that, um, it doesn't just have one blue line, I think it's got many and I can't remember, obviously, black stripes and blue stripes. But anyway, so the, but the point is, you were trying to show your support for police. And was yeah. that placed on there after the whole BLM and the summer and all that? Or had it been on prior to that? It has been on there for a really long time. It like, I, I don't actually know when I put it on there. But well, let me ask it this way. What, why did you put it on there? I put it on there just because my uncle and my cousins have just are just 
sharing their experiences and I'm I'm really proud of like the way that they've led their life for their family and like to protect all of us I just think it's a very honorable job that they've been doing Mm -hmm. and did you did you worry at all when you put it on there that it might be seen as provocative by you know some other students especially the black students in in light of what was happening in the country I didn't really worry that much about it because they all have like Black Lives Matter stuff on their computers. They do. So you're allowed to sort of take a, a, a stance on issues that are you know charged racially and politically in your school. Well, I mean, I guess I did worry a little. Like one of my friends told me that like my friends, they all it's a little bit different because for those type like Black Lives Matter and stuff like you're allowed to wear that stuff at school and you would not wear like you wouldn't wear something about like guns or anything like that like or the blues like police support you wouldn't wear that at school so would you wear would it would anybody wear like a MAGA hat no no how about uh, Joe Biden like were were people openly supporting people were like supporting Joe Biden okay so that's interesting uh so sort of one view is being allowed but not all views were being allowed. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, I have to tell you, like, I get that. I, I have police in my own family of whom I felt very defensive when these massive sweeping statements about cops, all cops being racist and, and wanting to hurt or kill unarmed black men were being pushed. Is I just I know it's not true. There, there may be a problem in some circles with policing, but I understand the need to support them in a way that doesn't diminish the experience of black people, right? It's like, you don't want to be forced to choose a side. It's not about choosing a side. It's about saying the narrative isn't correct. At least this is my case. The narrative isn't correct that you're pushing and we have to get real about what the facts are. And I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, Jean. I just, I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable about putting the flag on your computer. I just recognize this. I think you do now that that, that would be likely to turn into an issue. Yeah, I was surprised. In the meeting, I did say, I was like, I, of course, I don't support police brutality. Like, that is, I would never support police brutality. I'm supporting the good police. More with our guest in just one second. And we'll also bring in Mark McCloskey in our um, next little bit. But first, let's talk about Zip Recruiter. Businesses have had to be really flexible this past year, from working remotely to pivoting their business models for, you know, long-term survival and ideally growth. Um, We've seen it here in New York as the restaurants have had to readjust time and time again. And, you know, it's happening in a lot of industries. And as you know, if you are hiring for a business, all of this pivoting has made your job even more challenging, especially if you've got to hire for brand new roles. That's where ZipRecruiter comes in. ZipRecruiter.com slash MK can help you make hiring faster and easier. See, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful technology will find people who have exactly the right skills and experience for your job, and it will actively invite them to apply. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You don't have to wait long. It's nice. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do all the fishing. They put the fish on the line, you reel them in, and you decide whether they work for you. See for yourself. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com MK. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MK. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
And so your teacher, Miss Wiss, basically told you that uh, your sticker was evidence of racism and that you ha- you should have realized that and you should be- expect to be treated like a racist. How did the meeting wind up? Well, I was crying and my principal was like, well, I think we had a very constructive conversation here. <laughs> and then I stood up and I like, and we all left. I like ran, like it was, I it was not a constructive conversation. Like I was being screamed at for the whole time. So I was, so, uh, oh, the bell rang and then she wrapped it up and said that. And I mean, that meant me and the girl had to walk out into the same parking lot at the same time. And she's walking out happy as a clam because she just got away with that. And she's telling her story to everyone. And I walk out like sobbing. I had to stop on a tree because I thought I was going to throw up. Everyone sees Mm. that. Like, then it is like, for like how upset I was and how happy she was made it look like by not like ever saying what she did didn't happen. It, and like, it just really made it look confusing to everyone else. So they just sat there and let her hurl the allegations without saying, yeah, um, Madam Accuser, uh, we I, Miss Wiss, was there and she didn't say it. Or we've been yeah, speaking to and- people in the class and she didn't say it. They didn't say anything. No, they didn't say anything, especially after Miss Steenberg told me earlier that she knew I didn't say it. She didn't say anything. And she's trying to act like that was a constructive conversation. So can I ask you just a couple of questions? Because in your complaint, you alleged that in that meeting, you were subjected to a verbal and physical assault. What was the physical assault? It was the like the gestures that um, uh, the accuser was making, like just really like in my face. Okay, so she didn't actually lay hands on you. No, there's no hands on. Okay, and and then you your house at some point was indeed vandalized. You say what happened to it? Um, we had a Trump sign in my yard, and it was like destroyed. Hmm. So then time passes. Well, you know, some time passes. Let's say I think it was ten days, and you get pulled out of class again. Um, and you get brought down, I think, to Miss Dean Burge, the principal's office again. And there, there's going to be another meeting now that you didn't expect. It's got some other parties in it. But notably, it doesn't have your mom, your dad, your lawyer, who they admit they knew you had hired by that point to help protect you. And I wonder, like, to me, that just sounds outrageous. At the point that you'd involved a lawyer and they knew that this was becoming a thing. That they wouldn't yeah. include any grown up for you? That I just mean, sounds incredible. Especially after like I kept asking for my mom the whole entire time. I was asking for my mom and I asked for my lawyer. And they would not let me leave. They wouldn't let me bring anything. And like I didn't want to even leave the class because we were discussing the final project. And so like that was like ten days after the meeting that I had where the girl was yelling at me. And like threats were getting worse at that point and they weren't responding to my parents. So like I and like my principal before that meeting, she had like I was crying in the hallway and or I was crying in the bathroom and I realized, OK, he's been crying for a while now. He needs, like I could barely think at school. I was so scared. Like 
my friends would walk me in and out of school and to each class. Like I was, I, I was such a wreck. And because I'm like, my school didn't help me at all. So my principal saw me in the hallway with like all my like tears on my face. And she like pulled me into her office and told me I was like, mentally unstable and I needed to be able to deal with trauma like this and like that this stuff happens. I just need to be able to deal with it. So like that happened and my and my parents kept like trying to contact the school. And so like whenever I got pulled in on the October 23rd and it's like three administrators and me and them like screaming in my face and me not being able to like have anyone support me was scary. So you're telling me you were saying, can I please call my mom? Can I get my mom down here? And they said, no. Yeah. They were like, no, we need an answer from you now. What was your, what was the question? There was a variety of questions. So like, they, so like whenever, yeah, whenever, when, sorry, thinking it was very upsetting. Um, so whenever the meeting started, um, Miss Steenberg said that she's like, oh, we got a letter from your lawyer and I had no idea that there was any threats to your physical safety, which is like a lie right off the bat, which I knew this was going to be a horrible meeting right when she said that. Cause that I, I she knows that I said that my first email and all the like meetings with her and she's um so then at like she's like we need to um they were like we need to come up with a solution for this and I was like well I, I just need to talk to my mom and then then things started to like heat up and um my principal was like you need to realize that you are a racist and that like everyone who's white's a racist. I, I'm racist because I'm white and she is white. And then, but the whole meeting was like mainly um, led by Mrs. Morrow, who is, um, who used to be my basketball coach. She's African American. And like the, the fact that she was even in the meeting was like, it was just strange. And then there was also my, uh, She's a dean of students now, I think. Um, or not. She's like the dean of ex- excellence. We got a whole new bunch of new roles. but And then Mrs. Kaplan was also in the meeting. And Miss Mara was really angry. And she was like, like karate chop handing to me, like hand gestures to me. And like, she was, she was like, you need to say that you feel safe. Like, tell me you feel safe. You feel safe. Say it. This is a yes or no. Say yes or no. And I was like, I don't feel safe. And she's like, what percentage do you feel safe? And I was like, I don't feel safe. And she's, and then she's like, say you're racist. You're like, you're white. Like, you need to realize that all white people are racist. And then like, she was trying to say that she was trying to get, she was like, say, oh, she was saying like, if you won't tell me, tell me the names of the girls who are making you feel unsafe. And I after they were like kept trying to tell me that I was racist and I like kept like every time I got a break I would say no like I want my mom and they just kept saying no and so then they were trying to get me to say that because I I, I sorry I refused to give the names of the people who were making me feel unsafe because I have already given those names to them and like prior emails and conversations and like 
it's not like this was any new information. And at this point, they're like in my face telling me I'm a racist. Oh, and right when the meeting started, Miss Mara told me like, yeah, the girl, like my accuser, yeah, she's not getting punished at all. So I just want you to know that. So like, I just knew nothing good is coming out of this meeting for me. And so then, <sighs> so she's trying to get me to say that um, I'm lying about the physical threats and that my dad's putting me up to this and that this is all actually all in my head and that I'm over all of this and that none of this matters to me anymore. And I kept having to like defend myself and saying like, no, it does matter. to me. Like I'm not over this. Like, this is not a lie. And then my friend who had, who the accuser who had actually said the like statement to, they're trying to get me to say that she was not a credible source and that she's lying. Wait a minute, but just to back up, just to back up in that first meeting that you had with the principal and the accuser, didn't the accuser ultimately stand by that allegation anyway and say she did say it? Yeah, but um, she did say that. Unfortunately, like at that point, it just nothing mattered because she had said that she didn't say it and she said she said it. And obviously the teachers are like, didn't care. Oh. So nobody was paying any attention really to the original allegation, which was by the accuser against you, uh, an allegation that, you know, allegedly will not be proven out by the videotape or the witnesses who are in that class. That's all been abandoned. And now it's an effort to get you to stand down on your complaints about getting bullied, the house getting vandalized, getting besmirched as a racist. It's all about getting you to drop all of that. Yeah. And I actually was saying stuff in the meeting, like, because there is like a strange dynamic. Like I am a kid. So um, like these are my teachers who I'm supposed to respect. But like in that meeting, I knew everything had changed. Like they were sent in the meeting to get me to say some things because it was no longer like, because whenever I had to hire a lawyer to get them to, or my family had to hire a lawyer to even get them to respond, then they were given the task to get me to say some things so that they could like, I don't know, clear their own name. Like, because the way they were mm -hmm. talking was not the way that they were talking uh, prior to this meeting. And so like in the meeting, I said, like, if this was, I was like, you guys are literally... I can't believe this is happening right now. Like, I seriously cannot believe that this is happening. Like, if this was a different situation and there was someone going around calling me a slut and that I'm such a whore and just ruining my reputation and I brought it to the school, you guys, I know, I'm confident that you guys would do something to help me. But because this is a race issue and she's Black, you're too scared to help me. And, like, I just can't believe that this is happening. And You they said were that like, to them? Yeah, I did. And then, and what, uh, yeah, what did they say? They were saying, like, you have to understand, like, my accuser is hurt and hurt people hurt. And I said, I understand that she's hurting and I've always felt for her. Um, but let's get her help instead of, like, allowing this kind of behavior. Because if she goes out into the world and continues to do this, it's never going to help her. She's never going to be able to succeed. Like, you, if because she's hurting like let's get our like school therapist to help her like she needs to be able to deal with 
emotions like this, but she cannot make up lies about people who didn't do stuff like this. And you guys can't just like allow it to happen. And um, after that, nothing got better for me. <laughs> they continued to like try and get me to admit that I was over it. And that was all in my head. Uh-huh. So, and did you admit that by the way, did you admit any of the things they wanted you to, that it was all in your no. head, that your, that your witnesses were lying? No. None of no. that. And g- uh-huh. let me just ask you for the record, do you have any history of mental problems or, uh, have you ever been accused of being a serial fabulist of somebody who makes things up stories over no. and over? No. Uh, and also- have you, have you had any problems at the school prior to this? Have you been, have you been on probation? Have you been suspended? Have you had issues like disciplinary issues prior to this? No. Okay. And I should, I should note for the record at this point that these are allegations and the other side hasn't hasn't been i mean we invited them and of course offered them the chance to weigh in on all of this um they declined they do deny the allegations i'll I'll read their statement in just a bit but they um they they say these are unproven and they're not true so that you know they're they're going to fight it in court and they're going to fight it in the court of, a, of public opinion too i might as well just read it now since i'm pausing this is what they gave us jane they said um dated february 8th A lawsuit was filed against our school in late December 2020 regarding allegations of discrimination. While it is not our policy to publicly discuss the details of lawsuits involving our school, we dispute the allegations made in this lawsuit, and the complaint is full of factual inaccuracies, distortions, and conversations taken out of context. Our primary focus remains on our mission of providing an excellent Sacred Heart education. While conflict is inherent in a school that fosters dialogue and analytical thinking, we strive for relationships characterized by inclusion and mutual respect. We love and care for each and every one of our students, signed Michael F. Baber, head of school, Village of Shane and Oak Hill School. Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have like a rule book that they're not following. It, I, it's just really like this is upsetting to me that this is still going on and that like literally just an apology would have ended this and that like they're allowing this kind of thing to happen. They actually during that meeting, uh, Miss uh, Kaplan was taking well, she kept telling like I wasn't asking. She was on her computer the whole entire time and she told me like three times that she wasn't taking notes. Like it's not about this. Don't worry. And then after the meeting, my lawyer gets sent like a whole bunch of notes from the meeting that don't have like the majority of the meeting. The other the te- or Mrs. Morrow was talking. It wasn't me. And it the notes have my words taken so out of context or not like things I didn't even say. And mm-hmm. like just like one question and not all the stuff that they said to me. So like I. That's just, I like, after I heard that, after that happened, I was really, really upset because I just couldn't believe that they would take my words and like twist them like that. Like I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't have any defense. I kept asking for someone like, I, like, and like, I was like trapped in there. Like I didn't want to be in there. Do you believe what you are suggesting that they're treating you differently and your accuser differently because you're white and she's black? Yeah, they said that. They've been saying, like, you have to understand, like, this is a difficult issue because of race being involved. How has this affected you? This has been, like, really upsetting to me, obviously, because 
I'm like scared at school. And I mean, I'm really lucky to have like uh, really supportive parents and like some really great friends, but like people are like commenting on my Instagram to kill myself and that like I need to die and all this stuff. And like a whole bunch of girls at school, like school, like the girls all used to say hi to me in the hallway. Now they just like look down. So mm-hmm. unless like you know the whole story, which it's so hard for me to tell the story. Like it is so hard for me to get all this like information out because it's been so traumatic for me. All you're hearing is a story that my accuser has given out, which makes me like obviously like the girls are thinking that I said that. If they didn't know my like if they didn't hear what I said, they're thinking I said that. Do you feel like, as your school states in this statement to us, that they are striving for relationships characterized by mutual respect? Absolutely not. They're just trying to avoid the problem. Well, they say they love and care for each and every one of their students. Do you do you feel like they love and care for you? Um, I do not feel like the administration love and cares for me, but... Um, there is like one teacher who's been incredibly nice to me um, who like he was whose class I got taken out of um, to go to that meeting. And also I was like a Kairos leader, which is our like, it's like a senior retreat. So I like led one of the retreats and I was writing to talk with him and he like, he has been so supportive of me. He's like, he always is like offering out his like prayers and trying to talk to me and make sure that everything's okay. Because like, I don't know, he just knows how much this has been affecting me and Mm -hmm. he's just been so supportive and great. And what happens now in the hallways? Like, do you, do you and your accuser see each other? What's the dynamic like? Um, well, the, (laughs) Oh. oh, it's okay, babe. Uh, the dynamic at school is so much different. Like, I used to be like, I, like, um, like, for example, I started ping pong club this year, and it was like the biggest club at Villa, like the big biggest club ever to like happen, and I'm like super excited about it. Now, like, the thought of emailing my whole school makes me nauseous. Like, there's so, like, I there's no way I could, like, clear my name to the whole entire school. Like, there's, like, all these underclassmen, all these girls that don't know me that, because, like, I, I just don't know underclassmen because we haven't been doing sports like we used to. So, like, there's no way for me to, like, get, like, not even all the girls in my grade know what fully happened so um like it's just I'm not like I used to be able to talk to anyone and now I'm like I can't and um it's like it's just really upsetting because the school told me that they would make an announcement clearing my name and they said that they're not going to do that and so like I can't like I just want this to be over and I don't yeah well, I mean, that's where the law comes in. That's that's why we have the law and juries and judges to run a fair procedure where 
You can't just say, you know, we don't care what the facts are. That's the, the, the courts are still the one area in which that is not okay to do. And this seems like a good place to bring in Mark, your lawyer. Um, don't go away because I'm not, we're not done. I'd love to keep you in this conversation too. Mark, thank you for joining us and for making Jane available too. This is heartbreaking. This is just so, so damn sad. And it, it makes me so angry because these school administrators, I mean, unless Jane is pathological and has made this up from start to finish, uh, these school administrators have a lot of explaining to do and really ought to be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, I appreciate how easy it would have been to have solved this entire thing. At that first meeting on uh, October the 13th, all the principal and the uh, and Ms. Wiss had to do is say, we know this didn't happen. By the way, let me backtrack a little bit. The school has a parent-student handbook that outlines different kinds of disciplinary offenses and remedies. And they outline various things with penalties such as detention, full-day detention, and then there's a category for more severe offenses, which require more severe discipline than even full-day uh, detention. The first one is lying. The second one is bigotry. And the third one is internet abuse. And so by the time of that first meeting, the administration of the school knows that the accuser made up a lie. It was a lie based on race and bigotry. And it was posted on the internet. And so all the first three of the major enhanced offenses, as outlined in the student handbook, have been violated. And yet, my clients told that this accuser will not be punished under any circumstances because she's African-American. And my client is asked to fix the problem by admitting to lies. And all the school had to do, all the administration had to do at the very first meeting is say to the accuser, we know this didn't happen, apologize for it. They don't even have to discipline her if they, they're afraid of disciplining an African-American student and, and make a public statement that this did not happen. Instead, to this day, as from the statement you just read a minute ago, they're still denying it happened and they're still not coming to the support of a person that they know is innocent. And, and it, it sounds like they've abandoned even entertaining the allegation that Jane may have stood up in a class and looked at the accuser and said, black lives do not matter. You know, and it seems to have gotten to be beyond that. It seems that their need now, their, their kind of knee-jerk need to support the concept of critical race theory obviates anything in the way of a, of a real discourse or obviates the need to investigate what did or did not happen because the, uh, the, the, the need to enforce the concept of critical race theory that all white people are racist because they're white overrides any factual inquiry. And and is that something? I I mean I I guess I could ask Jane that too. But is has critical race theory been um, used? Has it been taught this year, as we've seen at so many schools? Or are you just referring to the messaging she got in the meetings? Um, you know, it's my understanding. Well, let me let me back up and say this: since we filed this lawsuit, I've gotten calls from parents from a variety of the, the prep schools in St. Louis, both um, Catholic prep schools and others, including one that I went to. Uh, complaining about critical race theory being forced down the throats of their kids. I think Villa de Chen has probably had less of that than the other schools that I've been contacted by, um, despite the fact that in, in my client's specific case, they've made no bones about their belief in critical race theory and their desire to enforce it by force and intimidation if necessary. Mm -hmm. 
What do you make of the fact that these teachers uh, are allowed to, and students too, are allowed to display BLM stickers and paraphernalia? And this is a controversial group. I don't, I don't care who has a problem with me saying that it is a controversial group to, to put it at a minimum. It's the concept of black lives matter is not controversial, but the group is. Um, and yet you're not allowed to show support for police and no one would feel comfortable showing support for Trump. You know, what do you make of that? Well, you know, I got to tell you that, that I know, and I know that the administration knows, and I know that Mr. Baber, the, uh, the head of school knows that BLM is a, uh, is a Marxist organization that's anti-Catholic, anti-family, anti-capitalism, and that it stands for everything that, that uh, uh, traditional American values stand against. And no one can honestly promote Black Lives Matter as the organization um, without being a, without having at core adherence to a concept that America is intrinsically an evil place, that capitalism is intrinsically evil, that families are bad, and that, that religion is antithetical to uh, to a race-free existence. I mean, this Black Lives Matter is not a benign organization, and anybody who promotes it is they either have to feign ignorance or they're or they're in on it, in my humble opinion. Well, that's the thing, is that the group, like the the idea of it was not that controversial, right? I mean, like that's why the, the marketing is so brilliant, because lowercase Black Lives Matter is something everyone can agree with. But as we saw over the summer, the organized group has caused a lot of damage. And they are anti-capitalist. They are Marxist. That was in their own founding documents, which up until recently were online until they started to scrub them um, and have problems with the nuclear family and so on and so forth. It goes on and on. But I think it was one thing to let somebody have a Black Lives Matter T-shirt or sticker uh, prior to all the damage that was done this summer. But as of October of 2020, you know, cops had been murdered. David Dorn was murdered right outside of right in St. Louis, wasn't he? The retired cop who got killed. Yeah. About a half a mile um, from where we're sitting right now. Yeah, so it's like, look, all my my only point is they're controversial, and there's this one girl who's got a couple of cops in the family who wants a single blue line and a flag just to say like, not all cops are bad, and this turns into you know something really dark, according to your complaint. Um, so what what should happen? I mean, oh wait, actually no, let me back up. Can we just talk about the video? Have you seen the video of the of the class? Will they not release that to you? We have not gotten it yet. The, uh, the school was just served in this litigation, I think, this week. Because of COVID, um, the court system works very slowly. We filed this lawsuit, I think, on December 23rd. Summons just got issued recently. And I think the school was just served this week. And so we don't have any discovery yet. The um, I'm the second lawyer on the case, the first lawyer who's not um, necessarily a litigator. Uh, had requested the video. They refused to produce it. Interestingly, uh, the standard practice of the school was that all the all the Zoom all the uh, classes were Zoomed and the Zoom uh, conferences were recorded and then posted to the internet the same day. This mm. this video has never been posted. And now, uh, after we filed our lawsuit, the policy has changed to where you can only get the videos of the Zooms upon I guess written request. Um, but nonetheless, they have never produced this video. Hmm. That's fascinating. I mean, the video like that, that's very telling because if the video had Jane on it, standing up and saying black lives do not matter, this would be a slam dunk for them. Oh, yeah. That's it. Well, well you know, it's not it, we're not in a unique situation where, where 
uh, facts are irrelevant to the discourse. <laughs> right. So, so what about the meeting then when she was represented either by you or your predecessor, uh, Jane and her family had gotten a lawyer and the principal nonetheless pulls her in for a meeting without any representation and even without her parents. That to me sounds, it sounds hard to believe that you'd have a crying teenager there saying, please may I call my mom. And the principal is saying no, as another teacher is yelling at her that she's a racist and it has to admit it's all in her head and that she feels safe when she's saying she doesn't. And more than that, this was prearranged because as she's called out of her class, she specifically told that she could not bring anything, including her cell phone. Um, and so they had every intention of browbeating her into, well, she put it very nicely. They've gotten a letter from counsel. They know that, they, that they're uh, in some hot water. And what they wanted to do was to coerce her, browbeat her into saying things which could then be taken down by Ms. Paplin on her laptop in defense of, of what they saw as a uh, coming lawsuit. And to, to have three adults, and by the way, we're talking the principal of the school, uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Michelle Mora, who is the, quote, Dean of Student Excellence, uh, which I don't even know what that means, and Ms. Kaplan, who's, I think, the Dean of Students, um, three senior administrators, all browbeating a, a 17-year-old girl who's begging to talk to her mom and they won't let her. That's the, that's the basis of the uh, uh, unlawful restraint aspect of our, mm -hmm. of our lawsuit. But, I mean, you imagine that. And, by the way, all three of these people are new to their positions. Ms. Steenberg is newly the principal. Ms. Morrow had been the basketball coach until she got elevated to dean of student excellence. Ms. Kaplan had just recently become the dean of students. None of these people have advanced degrees or any specialized training in administration. They were just bodies that needed to fill slots. And it would be interesting to find out um, what the what the selection criteria was for these positions. Mm -hmm. I know that the head of school, Mr. Faber, um, had come from the East Coast. I think he was from Connecticut. He had spent some time in Chicago. He had most immediately before taking over as head of school at Philadelphia, been the head of school at another Sacred Heart school down in the Lafayette, Louisiana, um, called the Grand Coteau, and uh, had instigated a very um, extreme uh, uh, anti-racist criteria down there. And by anti-racist these days, we mean racism, by identifying no, people no. by race and segregating them it. by race to, to, uh, to show how unracist we are by, by treating everybody differently based on their race. What do you make of that statement they gave us that I, that I read? I don't know if you heard that, but you know, what, do you, what do you make of that? Well, I'd like to know what lawyer drafted it, um, because it seems to be, uh, at least to what I know so far, completely the opposite of what in fact occurred and what has continued to occur. Now, their student uh, parent handbook states expressly that they're going to treat everybody the same, regardless of race and religion and national origin, that they want to treat everybody fairly. I mean, what that letter that she wrote, that statement you, you just read, says is basically verbatim out of their student parent handbook. But it flies in the face of the fact that they have, in fact, treated my client differently, expressly based on her race and her political positions, um, and have expressly treated her accuser differently and beneficially because of her race. I will, I, since the time that we filed the lawsuit, I have learned that there was one phone call from the principal with uh, my client's parents in response to uh, the initial uh, 
complaint. And uh, the parents were told by the principal that the accuser, who had been there since the seventh grade, uh, says that there had been, this is, a, this is the statement from the principal, of true, there had been a lot of uh, hostile outbursts from the accuser since the seventh grade, but she hasn't hurt anybody yet. And therefore, wow. they, didn't, they weren't concerned for the physical safety of Jane. Um, since even though this, this accuser had been hostile and, and, and engaged in outbursts on a regular basis, um, she hadn't actually hurt anybody yet, so we're just going to ignore it. Mm. Well, I mean, I you can hear the pain that your client's going through. You can hear it. She's a kid. This is extremely traumatic stuff. And, you know, it sounds like the school is just totally insensitive to, to anything that Jane might be going through, at least according to what she said to us here today. And I, and I realize the school gets its day in, in court, too. But they just I don't know that Jane's pain matters to anyone. I think there is such a uh, a fear of uh, not going along with the, the, the new reality of, of education that everything is race-based and that everything in every course, whether it's math or science or religion or art or music um, or history or social studies or anything else, everything is based on race now. And I think that I don't know what happened to this country in this last year, but now every school is basing every course and every every concept on the need to segregate us by race and treat us differently. And I think every administrator is now afraid of going against that grain for fear of losing their job, losing their futures, um, and being, you know, called a racist. Oh, I mean, here in New York City at the Dalton School, parents just wrote a letter complaining. I mean, this is one of the most liberal schools in the country. Just wrote a letter complaining about that, among other things, they're having the kids reenact uh, cop shootings, reenact alleged, you know, shootings of racist white cops and black men. I mean, it's like, it's nuts. Yeah. And, and I know that I've, I've read the uh, Dalton School Manifesto and it's just, it's, it is almost exactly like the uh, um, uh, uh, Movement for Black Lives uh, Manifesto that was published in 2016. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a movement that is centrally organized and is emanating out of, of basically, you know, uh, the Weather Underground and Black Panthers. And, um, you know, I, I get into this for hours because I just, I can't imagine how the entire country has been taken over by this. And nobody has mentioned the fact that these people are just blatant racists. Well, you know, that that's why it's like, I feel like people like Coleman Hughes or Chloe Valdery or Glenn Lowry are very brave because those are two, the first two I think are more liberal for sure. And Glenn Lowry's more conservative. These are just a couple names, but these are black scholars who are speaking out against this, saying we, we all want the same thing. We want unity. We want cohesiveness. We want love. We want support. Um, but we have very, very different views of this country, the, the severity of racism in the country, whether it's institutional or not, and the way forward. And, um, you know, you're allowed to you're you're allowed to have different views. And, and the, the schools that are just jumping right into all white people are racist, you know, and just shoveling Robin D'Angelo's messages down the throats of children with no thought for how that's going to make them feel or change their lives are really endangering them. This is this is dangerous stuff. So what that which leads me to the question of what do you think should happen to the these teachers and these administrators? Well, I think that uh... I'm hoping that in the course of this litigation, we're going to demonstrate that you know, the facts are, are 
what we allege they are, that the administrators knew that at the time, and that they put the uh, the political uh, expediency of, of critical race theory and Black Lives Matter movement uh, ahead of the uh, of the welfare of the kids. I mean, it's you see that every place. I mean, I I uh, had a, a another client of mine whose uh, uh, son goes to the same prep school I went to here in St. Louis, where a math teacher went off in a math class, totally unprovoked for you know 45 minutes about critical race theory about how all these kids were racist and they need to uh, admit it and uh, when that current sent a letter to the headmaster and had a sit down with him the headmaster was shocked and put an end to it and that's all that needed to happen here all they need yep. to do is, is acknowledge what really happened and what didn't happen and support the student instead of sacrificing the student on the altar of critical race theory what is the claim for well you know uh I always say to my clients, all I can do is turn their, their pain and misery into dollar bills. Unfortunately, the way the legal system works, that the only remedy is really monetary. But that, I think, is a, is the secondary import in this case. I think the, what my clients want to do is just have an opportunity to show the community that this is what's going on. This is this is what's festering amongst them. And, and parents don't realize it. And by the time it comes to a head, by the time they realize what kind of poison is being fed their children. It's already happened. And so this is yeah. kind of a wake-up call. This is an opportunity to let the community know that uh, uh, that this is going on. And, and the problem is, what's the alternative? The um, I, got another, I have another client who told me last week that uh, his son goes to the public school uh, in the wealthiest neighborhood in St. Louis, and uh, that they had an hour-long session where they were lectured on um, uh, ACAB, all cops are bastards, and they had to accept that. And you know, I, I you know, I, I, I know that in your case, your your former kids' school wanted to teach them that in every classroom there's a a killer cop being bred. But I mean, yep. this is every place, and just in one year, how the heck did that happen? I know, I know, it's disturbing, and I know you've had personal experience with this to some extent. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you about that in one second, but. Can I ask you, um, I don't have the complaint in front of me, in front of me, but what are the claims? One is a breach of contract because the contract executed by my client and uh, the school incorporates by reference the uh, student parent handbook where, um, and I detail it paragraph by paragraph, all the different ways that the school has violated their mutual covenants in that, in that student parent handbook by treating my client differently because of race, by not enforcing discipline evenly. Um, by preferences based on, on race and, and political opinion, um, all contrary to their contractual obligations uh, based on the student parent handbook. Then there's kind of an interesting claim under Missouri law. We have a Missouri Fair, uh, uh, Merchandise Practices Act uh, where it's uh, actionable in Missouri if you sell a product under false pretenses, so similar to the federal statute, and, there's a, and it has been specifically applied to selling education as a as a, a merchandise. And if they take in students and accept tuition on the basis, on the representation that they're going to be unbiased, non-racist, even-handed, and treat all people equally on the on the basis, regardless of their of their race, gender, or national origin, when in fact they know that's not true, that's a that's an actionable 
um, misrepresentation okay. under the Merchandise Practicing Act. Do you think you have available to you um, a discrimination claim? You know, a, a claim that they've discriminated against Jane on the basis of race? Yes, and you know, we uh, Missouri uh, Constitution specifically prohibits that. That's that's the last allegation of the of the petition. Uh, unfortunately, that unless they're accepting uh, some federal or state aid, uh, if they're accepting support, I'm not sure we have a, a good constitutional claim. But once again, we've alleged that because we do not know whether or not that's the case. But if they're using federal money or state money to promote this propaganda, then yes, that's a, that's a constitutional violation as well. Are you prepared to try this all the way through? I mean, would this be a jury trial? And are you prepared to actually try the case? I don't file any lawsuit that I don't plan on taking all the way through if I have. Hmm. Let's just go the other way. If if Jane really did stand up in the classroom and yell this and then feigned indignance at being falsely accused, then there's something seriously wrong with Jane. And the school has been awfully aggrieved. Um, but I, I just keep coming back to you if that if that were the case, they would have released the video that the video would show us and we'd see Jane on the tape and, and maybe they'll do that. And, and I can have you back and then I'll say, hey, Mark, there she is. But yeah. until that happens, they, they don't deserve a presumption in their favor. Well, even even if let's say let's say the facts weren't so self-evident, let's say the case wasn't videoed and the class wasn't videoed and it was a he said, she said or she said, she said in this case, even if that were the, the factual background, what on earth would be the legitimate basis for pulling my client into the principal's office and having her browbeat? What would be the point in having your accuser spend an hour screaming at her and jabbing her finger in my client's face, calling her a racist? That's no way, even if the facts are in dispute, that's no way to reach a resolution. That's a way to escalate rather than de-escalate the situation. And I've that's got to tell you, yeah. And since then, as, as Jane uh, referenced in, when you were asking her question, since these events, her accuser has become emboldened. She feels that the school is supporting her and knows that nothing she does will result in any sanction against her. And so she's become more outspoken and, and more defiant and, and more um, out there uh, than she was before. And so it's given, it's given the accuser license to, to kind of flourish while at the same time really crushing my client, making her life miserable. And, you know, I mean, at this point, Jane can't transfer to another school, right? I mean, we're, we're four months away from the end of the school year. Yeah, I'm just hoping that, uh, that she's allowed to graduate. We've gotten at least one ominous uh, uh, correspondence from the school talking about how close she is to the end of her uh, high school career and how they hope that this won't interfere with her ability to conclude her senior, uh, her final semester. The kind of not very, you know, well-hidden subtext there. Well, we'll look forward to covering that if they try to kick her out before she's had her day in court. That's talk about adding insult to injury. Up next, Mark is going to walk us through the latest on his case. And wait until you hear what happened to this activist prosecutor who has been coming after Mark and his wife. Guess what she did and the consequence to her in trying to make these guys into a political football. That's up in one second. But first, let's talk about HR issues. I mean, how many conversations do you begin like that a day? Hey, talk about your... Actually, we should. Because the reason you want to avoid talking about HR issues is because they're stressful. And if you're a business owner, they can kill you. 
wrongful termination suits and minimum wage requirements and red tape and labor regulations, and it's overwhelming and no one wants to do it. And you don't have to. That is where Bambi comes in. B-A-M-B-E-E. See how I spelled that? I spelled that perfectly. It was created specifically for small businesses. And look, if you want to hire like a dedicated HR manager, it's an average of $70,000 a year to get somebody. You don't want to do that. You don't need to do that. You can get from Bambi a dedicated HR manager who will craft HR policy, maintain your compliance all for $99 a month. How about that? With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat, and they can help you with everything. Hiring, firing, they'll customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for $99 a month. That's all. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. You can cancel the person you've hired to cancel others, your HR manager. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. God knows I didn't. So let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash MK right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash MK, BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash MK. Check them out. And now we want to bring you a feature we have here on the show called Asked and Answered, where we try to respond to some of our listener mail. Steve Krakauer is our executive producer, and he's been sorting through the submissions. Hey, Steve. Hey, Megan. Yeah, lots of good ones this week. And uh, this one comes to us at questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. So people can write in there or just ask a question on one of our social media accounts at Megan Kelly Show. This one is from John Harbour, and he's got a question that I ask myself every day. Uh, He says he's a moderate. He enjoys listening to the show, appreciates your points of view, but he has one question. Why are you still using Twitter? The obvious solution to me, he says, is for conservatives to drop it. It's a great point, John. I think I'm just going to go over to Parlor. Oh, wait. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like they have a monopoly. And I was on Parlor and I was actually doing pretty well on Parlor until it got pulled. But I confess I didn't leave Twitter and it wasn't because I thought Parlor would go out of business. It's because Twitter just has such huge reach and I've got pretty significant reach on it. And even though it's completely dominated by the left. I mean, Twitter is definitely a leftist site. So you're going to be subjected to a fair amount of bullying, ridicule, and scorn if you're not a leftist over there. And frankly, even if you are a leftist, they're not nice to anyone. But especially if you're not, it is also a place where I feel a connection to people who are sane, (laughs) who are kind, who I think are rooting for me and for whom I am rooting. And I'll just give you one example. You remember we had Bridget Fetisy on the show, right? I wouldn't have known about Bridget Fetisy had it not been for Twitter. Chloe Valdery, same thing. Found her on Twitter. Love her. She's the answer to all of our problems. If you haven't listened to that episode, go do it. And Bridget, you know, she sent me a sweet DM, you know, the direct message on Twitter after I left NBC. And I was like, who is this wonderful person who's thinking about me? You know, she said she was worried about me. I'm like, oh my God, who's this beautiful person who's worried about me? Most people are like, F you, enjoy your money, you biatch, right? So it's like, it's like so sweet. That's how we became friends. And that's, and if you don't know Bridget, listen to that episode too, because you'll see what a beautiful person she is. Anyway, lots of relationships like that for me have begun on Twitter and it's amusing. I have to say, it's very funny. There are like Jesse Kelly. He's, uh, he's with the first. He's hysterical. That guy has me in stitches. Um, Stephen Miller, 
not the one who worked at the White House, another one. He's hysterical. He's like the funniest guy on Twitter. So clever. Literally makes me laugh out loud all the time. There's, there's a lot of people I could go on and say this stuff about. So it's worth the follow. And you, you know, you get the news quickly. You get amused quickly. You get abused quickly. I'm on like a rap now. So I would say net net is still a positive experience for me. And it doesn't really bother me too much. Like when they, they, they I start trending because people take something totally innocuous and make it sound awful. I have learned by this point in my life that the people who are with me, the sane people, that doesn't make them hate you or think you've done anything wrong. They just scoff at it, and move on. Right. And if the left wants to get themselves, get themselves all up in arms about something I've said. Okay. Kind of the way I felt about there was this website when I was at Fox and, um, their motto was, we watch Fox so you don't have to. And they would write just terrible things about all of us. And I, it used to amuse me. Like, think about your critics, the people who hate you the most, <laughs> sitting around all day, watching you, listening to you, documenting your every word. You've already won. You've already vanquished them. Right? So it's, it's kind of like that when you stir these people up who are dishonest brokers. Right. Like I've already won. Just just the fact that you try you you picked the fight has has been a win for me. So anyway, long winded answer, John, but I hope that helps you understand. And look, if we could if we could actually build a meaningful competitor to Twitter, I'd go in a heartbeat. But for now, it's like it's like high school. Right. Like we're talking about high school today. It's like high school. you got to deal with the bullies, but hang with your friends. And now back to Mark. Let me shift gears with you now, if I may, because we got to talk about the fact that you've had your own experiences with Black Lives Matter, the protesters, at least. And we're in the news all over the news in June because you are the man who had, quote, the mansion. Everybody made sure to refer to your house as the mansion and stood out there with your gun with your wife because the protesters had come into your private development through the gate and um, were were right by your property. And the crazy thing that happened there, people had all sorts of opinions about whether you guys should have been out there with your guns. The crazy thing that happened there was when all was said and done, this what appears to be a radical uh, prosecutor, the circuit attorney, has charged only two people, you and your wife, not one of the people who were trespassing on on the property, you know, your, your development has been charged. Only you got charged. You and your wife got charged. And she has basically said, this is a quote from circuit attorney Kimberly Gardner, we must protect the right to peacefully protest and any attempt to chill it through intimidation will not be tolerated. And she says, you place the protesters in fear for their safety. And that's why you're now facing felony charges, Mark. Yeah. How, uh, how, how are you feeling about that today? And where does that case stand today? Oh, gosh, you know, I got to tell you, I'll, I'll give you a little frame of reference. Um, St. Louis is the murder capital of the world. This is one of the this is the most dangerous place for homicides in the country per capita. Uh, last year, we had 262 murders in the city of St. Louis out of a population of about 300,000. On June 1st and 2nd, after the George Floyd thing, uh, the the uh, people of, uh, of the, the choose to hold themselves out as our moral superiors and, and resolve all our problems through peace and love, decided the way to, to show their peace and love is to burn down downtown St. Louis. And that night, uh, millions of dollars worth of property was burned down. Four police officers were shot. 
uh, retired Captain David Dorn was murdered in his secondary employment at a pawn shop not very far from my house. Uh, we watched the uh, 7-Eleven in downtown St. Louis, my wife and I, from a live helicopter feed for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes from the time the first rock went through a window. Place gets looted empty. Then they set fire to it. Building becomes engulfed in flames. Roof falls in. Not a single policeman shows up. Not a single fireman shows up. And this is two blocks from police headquarters in downtown St. Louis. We look at each other and say, oh, my God, you know, when the fit hits the sham, you're all on your own in this world. And then um, the organization, the Antifa-like Black Lives Matter organization in St. Louis called Expect Us, which is headed by none other than my new congresswoman, Cori Bush, starts having um, periodic mob action, uh, peaceful protests. And because when you live in a, in a city which has been controlled by Democrats for now 77 years, uh, and you've got a circuit attorney who's vowed not to prosecute anybody for what they consider minor offenses, including up to assault and everything else, um, they advertise, expect us, advertises when and where they're going to have a mob action, including in my neighborhood. Um, but when you talk about Kimberly Gardner not prosecuting anybody other than us for that, what happened on June 28th, 250 people or so got arrested on that night of June the 1st and 2nd, the night when David Doran was murdered and uh, mm. four other police officers were shot. I think this is one of the darkest days. This is one of the darkest days of those Black Lives Matter protests that wound up being riots. That that death toll and the death of David Dorn was the I'll never forget that. I mean, that, and people gloss right over it when they when they defend BLM and you can wear the T-shirt and there's no accountability for it. I'm sorry. I just I, I wanted to weigh in because that's that's your neighborhood. That's your town. And I've lived here. I've lived in the city of St. Louis. We, when, when my wife and I, I grew up in St. Louis, but I went to school in Dallas started practicing there. And uh, then my wife and I moved back to St. Louis. So we were out in West St. Louis County on five acres with our horses in the backyard and everything. And we decided to move back into the city uh, at a time when, when nobody was moving back to the city, when everybody was fleeing the other direction. And we spent, well, on February the 11th of this year, it'll be 33 years in that house. And uh, we've, we have lived in what has always been the most dangerous city in the country now for 33 years. And, uh, um, when we protect our house against an angry, armed, and dangerous mob, we face four years in prison. Kimberly Gardner is not prosecuting any of the 250 people that got arrested on that night of June 1st or 2nd. Wow. Not one? Nope. People that killed David Dorn, I think three out of four of them, um, or maybe four out of five of them have been captured. Um, they were just random protesters. It was just the angry mob. Um, but all the other people, the arsonists, the people that shot the other cops, nobody's getting prosecuted. In fact, nobody in the city of St. Louis gets prosecuted for virtually anything. Uh, and now That's there's so a big awful. movement. There's a big movement now to quote. Well, you know, if you read the Black Lives Matter stuff and the, and the movement for Black Lives Manifesto, um, going back to even before that, going back to the, the 90s, it's the same program to to defund the police, decriminalize everything. And uh, and to destroy traditional values. And right now, at least one of the people running for mayor in the city of St. Louis wants to uh, decriminalize prostitution and all drugs, uh, 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 expunge everybody's record for anybody that's ever been arrested for any sex or drug related crime, and then reimburse them for the time that they've lost whilst being in jail. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Crime does pay.
This no, no, and you know, um, I'll go on and on, but I mean, I got to tell you that, that I, the fact that people like Chris Cuomo and, and Don Lennon and all these guys support Black Lives Matter expressly and never mention, for example, stuff like, well, you know who Susan Rosenberg is, right? No, was, who is that? Well, she, um, as of now or last summer, she was on the, uh, uh, she was vice chairman of an entity called Thousand Currents, which was a funding branch of Black Lives Matter. Susan Rosenberg was a member of the M19 communist organization in the uh, 70s and 80s. She um, was the getaway driver in a Brinks robbery where two police officers and one guard were murdered. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I covered that. I mean, I, I didn't cover it when it actually happened, but she, she uh, her role in it came up again. Her group, including her, bombed the U.S. Capitol building in 1984. They bombed an FBI office. They bombed the Israel Aircraft Industries office. They bombed the South African consulate. They bombed the Washington, D.C. Uh, Naval Yard, uh, Fort McNair. Um, she was sentenced to 58 years in prison. Oh, more than that, she and her fellow uh, uh, Linda Sue Evans created a, a prison break where two other communists, one of whom is, uh, two of which are now still on the FBI's most wanted list, one of whom, um, who uh, uh, is, her name was uh, Joanne Chesimard, but she now goes by the alleged African name of Asante Shakur hiding out in Cuba. Um, this woman got 58 years in prison. And guess what? On the last day of Bill Clinton's administration, at the insistence of none other than Jerry Nadler, she gets her sentence commuted along with uh, um, uh, Evans. These people are avowed communists. They have, uh, they have um, sworn to the destruction of the United States. They have they were trained in Cuba. Um, they have engaged in actual terrorism. They have been convicted of actual terrorism. They have bombed the U.S. Capitol building. Susan Rosenberg, who, who is a convicted terrorist and murderer and bomber of the Capitol building, um, is vice chair of the funding arm of Black Lives Matter. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, is public, this is public record. Oh, no, you know, you know how it is, Mark. Any pushback on this group and people say you're a racist like they're, oh, they're, yeah. and, and you just have to get OK with being called terrible names if you want to engage in this battle, because there are some of us who are committed to facts and truth wherever yeah. it leads us, whether it makes groups that sound great look bad or groups that sound bad look great. We have to just go where the evidence takes us. And and, and in your case. I, I watched. I didn't know you. I, I wasn't rooting for you or anybody else. I watched. I'm like, I don't know. They, they don't look that that menacing. I, I don't know. Why do they have the guns? I guess I, I might do that. I might be a little worried if they had come into my private development, which was trespass. And then I follow the evidence. And I saw the police actually alleging, contrary to what Rasheen Aldrich, who helped lead the protest in your neighborhood, said. He said it was peaceful and there were no threats. So that you guys, the McCloskeys, were overreact- overreacting. Uh, and the police investigated and said, all right, we found at least one person who was armed. We found another person who had a bulletproof vest on. We found people holding signs that read, you own a business, your business is gone. We're coming back, baby. You ain't the only blank blank with a gun. And mm-hmm. they coming back to your house. Then there was another protester heard on tape saying, I was the one who opened the gate. The gate was broken after they pulled a gun. What law did we break? We keep guns there but not for show. 
not to look a certain way, but for use. They yep. would have shot, then they would have been put down. So I, I will say, when I look at your case, I think had I been the prosecuting DA, I would have said, and I'm just going to stand down on accusing the McCloskeys of disturbing the, quote, peaceful protest by trying to chill uh, an, an otherwise entirely lawful thing through intimidation. You are trying to defend yourself in your home. And, you know, Megan, it's so much worse than you can possibly imagine. My, my wife um, is still, still brought to tears whenever she sees any of the video of this stuff. I mean, we're talking three to 500 people screaming, shouting, threatening, threatening murder and rape and arson. And, and not for just the 32 seconds that everybody saw on television, but this thing goes on for 15 minutes. And uh, uh, we were terrified. And it, it was not a benign event. And it was only the first of two events. The thing that the media did not cover is that that was June 28th. We heard from a client of ours who's a member of the organization that they're coming back on July the 3rd for the express purpose of killing us and burning down the house. And they did come back on July the 3rd. And it was a crowd of up to a thousand people. And we couldn't get private security. The people that we normally would retain, secondary employment cops, they didn't want to get involved because they were afraid of getting bad press. We were referred to an entity that does international corporate security, you know, special forces type guys that do pretty high profile stuff all over the world. They got bad press over the Ferguson riots and they wouldn't get involved. So I, I say to the guy who owns it, what the heck are we supposed to do? And he says, well, I would just take whatever you can't live without, put it in your car, leave and abandon the house. I said to him, there's no effing way in heck I'm going to do that. I'm going to go down the ship if I have to, but we're not going to, we're not just going to let these people take over and burn down our house. And so um, we had gotten a call earlier in the week from a gentleman at the White House that said that the, uh, the president wanted to express his support. And if there's ever anything that, that he could do for us, let us know. Well, now it's getting to be later on in the week. And we've been, uh, we know for a fact that, that this crowd is going to come back with the express purpose of killing us and burning down the house. So I called back up to the White House and I said, well, you know, you, you guys said if there's everything you can do um, for us, this is a pretty gosh darn good time. So he gave me a Mark Meadows cell phone number and I talked to Mark Meadows and told him the long version of this very short version of this story. Uh, and he got to work on it. Uh, the next call I made was to Tucker Carlson. Um, and I'm sitting on the bench in the kitchen of our house. My wife is crying in the background. I'm telling the story I just told you about how I can't get any help. The police have been ordered to stand down um, and we're facing death and destruction on Friday. And I think this is probably Thursday by now. And uh, Tucker goes on air with that, puts out kind of a call to arms. But we've spent, now it's Thursday evening. Our daughter, who's 31 years old, had been staying with us. Uh, she was in for, for dinner the prior Sunday and stayed because of what was going on. And uh, um, she gave us each a, a hug and a kiss, took her favorite stuffed animal from when she was a kid and left expecting to never see us again. Um, and then uh, Thursday come, Thursday's over and we not slept since Sunday. We're, I'd been sweating 24-7, literally sweating, um, hiding stuff, sticking stuff in walls and under beds and trying to think what the heck we're going to do um, with every expectation that our lives are going to end up right. Uh, and then stuff came together. I mean, we had, by the time the crowd hit our gate on Friday evening, uh, we had uh, 
uh, six Navy SEALs, uh, the, some had come up from Texas, wanted the fourth generation cattle farmer, had uh, heard our situation through his gear and his pickup and drove straight in, got here about 6.30 on Friday evening. Um, thanks in part to, to Tucker, um, we got a whole bunch of secondary employment rural cops that showed up. Um, we had uh, uh, the chief of police, the only police officer in the city of St. Louis that was actually there that night, all night, was the chief himself, John Hayden. By the way, he's an African-American gentleman, super guy. He came and met with our private security forces and, uh, pl- and organized a you know, plan of defense. And he uh, stayed there virtually all night when the crowd had surged up against the fence. He would personally go and, and talk them back. But we uh, we survived. But I mean, it was harrowing. It was it was now a thousand people, and it was uh, that that's, oh that part goodness. of it never gets mentioned by the press. And then we've got that night on July third when the crowd is coming down the street chanting "Burn the MF or down." In the front of the crowd is none other than Corey Bush on a megaphone, standing out in front of my house, chanting, you can't stop the revolution. You can't stop the revolution. Now she's got the gall to stand up on the floor of the House of Representatives and say that anybody who supports insurrection is unfit to be in the House Mm -hmm. of Representatives. Well, I got news for you. Her organization uh, disavows peaceful protest. Um, you talked about Rashid Aldrich. He has expressly said that Expect Us, this Antifa-like organization, doesn't like, doesn't want to have peaceful protests. They want to be as disruptive and as in your face as possible, uh, that they have to break laws in order to get their message across, and they have no intention of being peaceful. And you mentioned the gun and the, and the body armor, but I can tell you, and I'm backtracking a little bit because this is the night of June the 28th. I'm out in the front porch and I'm holding my rifle and my wife is holding that pistol that she knew didn't work. And it's right in front of us, in order to be intimidating, are these two guys. One of them's wearing camo-colored body armor um, and the other guy's wearing Desert Storm-style light-colored body armor. The guy in the camo body, body armor is close enough to me that he sees what I can see. So he pulls out from the ammo pouches on his, on his armor two loaded magazines points them at me so I can see that they're loaded with cartridges, clicks them together in front of me, points at me and says, you are next. Meanwhile, the uh, the guy uh, in the light-colored body armor, whose arm starts creeping closer and closer, and he's got typical, you know, Antifa kind of face covering and head covering, so you can't see anything but the slit of his eyes. And he keeps creeping closer and closer and closer. And I look at, over at Patty and I said, you know, if he comes a foot closer, I'm going to have to kill him. And uh, he's armed and being intimidating. And Patty leans over to me and uh, says, you're not killing anybody tonight. You know, the voice of reason. But we mm-hmm. didn't. We didn't put Good off for a shot. Patty. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you, can I ask you the city slicker, you know, elite media question? Because I do have this question genuinely. If this had been happening to me and I've got some property in New Jersey, so I do have a little bit of a suburban existence, but. I would have gone inside my house. I would have gone inside. I would have deadbolted everything, and I would have called every cop and every security person I could. So, I'm sure you've got an answer to that. But what is it? Well, the answer is this: I did a a, a interview with uh, Carlos Watson uh, last week, where he asked the exact same question. I like Carlos Watson. He's he's yeah, a good know, I, guy. I, he really is, and and he has probably been uh, he 
gave us all the time we wanted to. He's very even-handed, um, very honest, and very sincere. And I was very impressed with his with his interview. And uh, yeah. we told him so at the end. I, you know, at the end of it, he he had asked us earlier who did we respect in the media. And after the interview was over, I said, "Well, you know, now I can list you." <laughs> Aw, that's great. I he doesn't get enough attention for being the fair guy he is. So anyway, the the answer to the question is that between June the first when they burned down downtown St. Louis and shot four officers and killed Captain Dorn, who, by the way, was, you know, a very well-respected, just a wonderful guy. Um, uh, we had started seeing more and more of the neighborhood getting burned and broken. The little pharmacy, I'm sitting here in my office, which is three blocks from my house. This is a uh, um, 1880s Victorian house that we, we turned into our office building. Around the corner is a pharmacy we used. We'd gone over there. Um, shortly before June the 28th, the windows were broken out, the steel roll-up doors were destroyed, and the place was a mess. And I was talking to the owner, and I said, what happened? He said, the alarm went off. I said, you, you come down to see what was going on? He said, no, I didn't want to get killed. I said, so what happened? When the alarm goes off, they were inside for six hours, breaking everything, stealing everything they could steal and destroying everything they couldn't take. I said, did the police show up? He said, yeah, 10 hours after the alarm went off. We started seeing more and more of the buildings uh, in the central west end here where we live boarded up, more and more uh, businesses closing down. Somebody drove a truck through the front of the office depot uh, just across the street and down a little bit from my office. Um, and the, the answer to the question is that the events that were going on in St. Louis in those days, no matter whether they were billed as peaceful protests or whatever, in every one of these events, things got broken and people got hurt. And the likelihood that this crowd, when they crashed through the gate, broke it down and it started storming in, the likelihood that they would be benign was small. And so I said to Carlos, for example, if I thought that half of the time they were peaceful protesters and I had a 50-50 chance of being murdered or my house burned down, that's still too high of a percentage. But the percentage wasn't that. The percentage was every time they staged one of these actions, things got broken and people got hurt. And that same night, on June the 28th, after they left my house and they went to the mayor's house, one of the peaceful protesters produced an AK-47 rifle and confronted an NBC affiliate broadcaster, who, by the way, was had an armed guard with her. Mm-hmm. And her her armed guard, yeah, I mean, these people that are embedded with the with the mob, the, the journalists, I mean, they're they don't think it's going to be a benign event. She had an armed guard. The guard was going to was drew his weapon. They're about to have a, a gun battle in front of the mayor's house, at which point the NBC affiliate reporter and her guard fled. But then they proceeded to try to set the mayor's house on fire. They've done that many times since. Mm. So the same crowd, the same night that I'm supposed to go inside my house and hope that they don't burn my house down or come in and kill me, proceeded to pull weapons and try to burn down the mayor's house uh, after they left my place. And yeah. When I stood out on the front porch, the first thing I said, or actually I was out in the wing of the patio because we were barbecuing when they broke down the gate. First thing I said was private property. As soon as I said private property, it enraged them. And they came in and and immediately started being very violent, very loud, very angry. And uh, that's when I grabbed my rifle. Patty went inside to call 911. My daughter went inside to call 911. Um, 
not that it was going to be very useful. But uh, as soon as we got in, as soon as they got in the house uh, and called 911, uh, they walked by the front doors of the house with their glass. And the crowd outside the door of the house was such that my daughter, once again, she's 31 years old, fell down on the ground out of terror and then ran upstairs and hid behind a sofa. And that's when Patty mm -hmm. grabbed that pistol and went out the front porch. Well, that's the thing. is that, That's why I framed the question the way I did, because I'm always cognizant of the fact that I live in New York City. I live in a doorman building. There are many, many layers between me and the outside world. And it's not the same. You know, I talked to my pal, Dana Lash, who's a big Second Amendment advocate. She's a spokeswoman for the NRA. Her husband, Chris Lash, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. She's from St. Louis, now, now in Texas. But, you know, those two, they're so comfortable with a gun. And, like, they're just, you know, it's like second nature to them. And they live in a much more exposed, you know, area. They would never ask that question. I ask it for my listeners who are more in my camp. You know, like they don't understand. Why wouldn't you just go inside and cower? Which is exactly 100% what I would do. <laughs> victim here, victim here. <laughs> but I appreciate the explanation. Well, the first person to ask me that question was I was on a Breakfast Brit in the Period Morgan show sometime very early on. Oh, uh, yeah. He doesn't like guns. Me, no. The, the lady asked me that exact question. I said, well, you know, yeah, I had every expectation that if I hadn't gone out and defended my house, instead of interviewing me here today, you'd be attending my wedding. And that's exactly the way I felt. Mm -hmm. I, just speaking of Dana and Chris Lash, um, there was something on Twitter the other day where the, the question was something to the effect of uh, a guy breaks into your house and goes over to your refrigerator. What's the one thing you don't want him to steal? And people were offering up, you know, my burgers, my Hellman's, whatever. And Chris Lash responded, he would never make it to the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, you know, you, it's a mentality, you know, it's the, that's why we have castle doctrines in this country. You are allowed to defend your home, your safety, your well-being. And I do think most of the world has never even had to really contemplate that. But when you you try to you know, put yourself in Mark's shoes and, and ask yourself what you do, and you have to think of the greater context of what was going on in the world, in his neighborhood, all the videotapes we'd seen, the threats, all of it. It's just the situation was fraught. Okay, can I end with this? I was delighted to see that the that the circuit attorney has been booted off of your case, yours and your wife's, because she did something wrong. Can you tell us what she did? Sure. She used us in her advertising and her fundraising while she was running for, for re-election as circuit attorney. She did so before we, before we were charged. And then um, 48 hours or so after we charged, she sent out another uh, um, funding request to her constituents um, talking about how she was going to uh, uh, fix this problem of people like us and, and, and President Bush, uh, President Bush, President Trump. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when you read her, her, fund, her campaign material, it has nothing to do with curing crime or reducing the murder rate in the city of St. Louis. It had exclusively to do with restructuring the power structure. Um, but because of that, because she had used us in her fundraising, both the judge in my case and the judge in Patty's case disqualified her and the entire circuit attorney's office from the client, from the case. She took that up on a writ to the uh, Eastern District Court of Appeals, which uh, denied the writ in both cases. And so the status right now is we're waiting to see whether or not she's going to take that up to the Missouri Supreme Court or not. Um, if the Missouri Supreme Court agrees with the trial judges, or if she does not take it up to the Supreme Court, then the uh, the local judges will have to appoint
the, uh, the uh, local statute says some other attorney to prosecute the case. And so yeah, she really wants to be the attorney. She's dying to be the attorney who prosecutes you. Well, and, and you know, at the hearing, at the at the at the hearing where we were arguing, my attorney was arguing that she ought to be disqualified because of her bias and her interest in pursuing this on a political basis. Um, they denied that they had any political interest in pursuing the case. They were just doing it for the safety and health and welfare of the citizens of St. Louis. And, you know, the proof of that is how much she doesn't care whether or not she gets to prosecute us, right? Instead, oh, yeah. she's, she's doing like everything. A with a bone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll see. I don't I don't predict this going anywhere. I just cannot see this this case going anywhere. I know the attorney general of the state is more on your side and I don't, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I predict this is going to end well for you. Um, quick question. How, how are you doing with your neighbors? <laughs> how are your neighbors <laughs> feeling about you? Well, I have one or two neighbors that, uh, well, first of all, you got to appreciate that the central west end of St. Louis is about as leftist as you can possibly get. Um, and we're, you know, uh, the only people in the neighborhood that had a Trump sign out, I can tell you that. Um, we had our annual meeting uh, for our neighborhood last Tuesday night, I guess, maybe two Tuesdays ago. And uh, every vote was uh, 18 to 1, if that's any indication. <laughs> you can guess who the one was. <laughs> one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got I to tell you, I, I, I was just doing a little head, head scratching last night. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is off limits with you or not, but you get you get Cam for saying something about blackface uh, when you were in high school. I can't remember the exact quote. It's okay as long as you're in character and, and um, you know, it wasn't anything. Yeah, it used to be political. okay as long as you were in okay. character. But but then you have, what, Justin Trudeau? Did he have to resign as prime minister of Canada? You've got Ralph, uh, um, what's his name in Virginia? Um, Northam? Ralph Northam. Yeah. yeah. Who may wait, listen in his defense, he may not have been in blackface, something I've never worn. He may have been wearing a KKK outfit. So, like, let's get it straight. <laughs> that makes it all better. OK. And then the Facts. president, then the president nominates for the head of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, the people that will decide what is racist and what isn't and who needs to go to jail for being a racist and who doesn't. A woman who has written that blacks are genetically superior to whites. Um, and he is nominated for what under secretary of education, a woman who is in glowing words talking about a woman who says that our children are, are being, um, spirit murdered by white superiority. Yeah. I mean, that's right. What, and, and yet, and yet I'm the guy that's facing four years in prison for intimidation. But can I tell you something, Mark? I don't know if you feel this way, but I, I hate, I hate when this stuff happens because you know, I am a fighter, like I can tell you are. And when people veer off of the facts and the law, I have like a visceral instinct to to put them back, like stay between the rails. This, These are the rules we all agreed to play by, right? There, there's no racial discrimination. doesn't matter what the pigmentation is. You're not allowed to hold someone's immutable characteristics against them in this case. Um, and when they keep trying to do it, right? Like when it's like, well, you're bad, you're less than just because of your pigmentation, then they force you to say, no, I'm not. And you got to get into this fight. And now you're in sort of a race fight. And no one wants to be in a fight over race because it just doesn't tend to end well for anybody. Right. And I feel like that's that's where your client is. That's where you are. I've been there. And it's it's one of the great frustrations of this whole overreach is we can agree that we could absolutely implement 
some police reforms that would make sense for our community. We can agree that protest is as American as apple pie, but riots are criminal and must be stopped. Um, And by the way, we can agree that most cops are not violent and are actually out there trying to protect in particular the communities of color that need them most. But the, the country's in a place right now where it seems to have lost its mind. And I think it's a manifestation of what began as political correctness and has morphed into something very dangerous. Wokeness is too cute a name for it. One of my listeners wrote me that uh, it's too It makes it sound like they're adorable. And what they're really what they really are is anti-American and trying to tear at the fabric that holds us together as as Americans. So I, I appreciate your willingness to stand up for what you believe in and and also, you know, for what it's worth to protect others. You know, I mean, Jane is a lot more vulnerable, vulnerable right now than you were or than I am. And she needs help. You can hear how rough it's been on her. Right. You can yeah, you can absolutely. feel it. You know, I, 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 I don't know what the future holds, but I know that, that um, the powers that be, the, the mainstream media, uh, the political party in charge, um, they're not ignorant. They don't misunderstand what's going on. They're promoting organizations and um, elements in our society that actually are actively working to destroy Western culture, America as we know it, to destroy the underpinnings of the of the the four pillars of our civilization. That's family, God, individualism, and and capitalism. And this isn't this isn't coincidental. It's not done because they're ignorant of what's happening. They're promoting it. They're actively promoting entities that they know are not just a little to the left, but they're basically promoting Marxist, communist, universal revolution. And you go back to the very earliest documents of the movement for black lives and its predecessor organizations, and they expressly say that, that they seek a universal restructuring, which uh, progresses beyond capitalism is their way of phrasing mm-hmm. and this is very frightening and there's nobody with the very few exceptions standing up and, and saying that's what's going on right now and if the people don't wake up and take some action against it and pretty gosh darn soon our way of life is going to be history yeah the country's changing in a radical and dangerous way um listen Do me a favor. If you get your hands on that videotape, we'd love to see it. And we'd love any updates in your case or in Jane's case. And all the best to both of you guys. Thank you so much for doing this and for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Tom. Today's episode was brought to you in part by Legacy Box. Trust Legacy Box to digitally preserve your past. Go to LegacyBox.com slash MK to get 40% off your first order now. And please go ahead and subscribe to the show if you don't mind on your podcast service, because that makes it a lot easier for us to stay in touch with you. And you don't want to miss our next show because we've got Eric Bowling. Now, Eric and I are pals and have been for a long time. And I had him on the show to talk politics once before, and that's fine. We'll talk politics when he comes back on. But what I really wanted to have Eric on for this time was to talk about Eric's life and some of the stuff that he's gone through. You know he lost his son, Eric Chase, to um, a drug overdose when Eric Chase was in college. And it was a tragic story, and it was totally misrepresented by the vicious press. 
and he's been he's handled it all so beautifully the guy's been through so much anyway i you're gonna love him you're gonna love the personal side of eric and uh we're gonna get into that and we'll get his latest take on all the politics and so he's got a new podcast of his own with brett Favre, by the way or as i said for years brett Favre. (laughs) and we'll find out what's happening with that so don't miss it that's friday Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.